0: Hey, welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad this can be another tool for you. But if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. Cornerstone is in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Our young adult ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. Hey guys, what is up? Pastor Brandon here. Um, excited to have you tuning in. Um, decided to double back a little bit and do kind of a, a reprise of our Understanding God's Will Week 1 sermon, um, you know, just in the process of following what the Lord's leading and, and trying to create this podcast to serve the young adults who um, are away or aren't able to participate with us, or just anybody who feels led to um, listen to this material, wants to be fed in some way, We, the timing of it, we had already jumped into this series. So uh, the first sermon that you have on this podcast is week two so we decided to jump back and do a reprise of week one to kind of catch things up and and just put that information out there um, just as another resource for you guys so um, let's go ahead and jump in here just uh, as we seek to understand god's will god's plan for us um, but you know as you you talk about will and you, you think about this concept of god's will it's usually wrapped around this fear and this worry of like oh no i I'm, I'm gonna miss out on what God has for me. I'm going to pick the wrong school. I'm going to pick the wrong job. I'm not going to pick the right spouse. How many kids should we have? Where are we supposed to live? And we are living day by day with this weight of fear that if we make a particular choice, we are going to be, quote unquote, outside of God's will, outside of God's plan for me, and we find ourselves crippled every day by this God, what's your will for me? What's your plan for me? What do you want me to do? Um, So we decided to jump into the series to find some freedom, Uh, not freedom from God's plan, but when we actually understand what God's will is for us, there is beautiful freedom in that. Um, So to kind of give us a framework, a foundation, when we talk about will, what does that mean? And if you were to Google define will, this is what's going to pop up. The faculty by which a person decides on and initiates action. Control deliberately exerted to do something or to restrain one's own impulses. A deliberate or fixed desire or intention. And then this last one, the thing that one desires or ordains. And what I like about that last um, definition, the thing that one desires or ordains, it kind of changes how we process that question of, God, what is your will for me? Um, but this, this big question, it, it weighs on our decision-making. And you know what I would encourage you to do is look at that question from a different angle, from a different perspective, um, that when you actually look at the definition of will, you could almost ask the question, God, what is it that you love for me? God, what is it that you desire for me? What What is it that you take pleasure, you take delight in, in regards to me? And when you look at it from that perspective, it already starts to kind of flip the script a little bit. God, what's your plan for me? Well, I I, I better know what the playbook is. What What's the sheet music? Otherwise, I'm going to screw this up. You, well, God, what is it that you desire for me? Well, when we look at his word, there are plenty of things that God desires for us. And there are also some clear things that God does not take delight in, in regards to us. So you can already see it starts to reshape that question in our thinking and processing that. But even the concept of will compared to, you know, how the world defines will compared to how the Bible would define will. Like I said, it adds another layer, that, that Greek word for will, thalo, um, it, to, to will, to have in mind, to intend. Now, here's what I love about this, that the way the Greek would define God's will, to be resolved or determined, to purpose. God, what do you have purposed for me? To wish, to love, to like, to do a thing, to be fond of doing, to take delight in, to have pleasure. So that Greek word thalo, like I said, it, it adds depth To that question, God, what do you have in mind for me? What do you intend for me? What do you desire for me? What do you take delight in in regards to me? Um, It adds new layer and new depth to that question of, God, what's your plan? Um, But here's what's so interesting about this, is that God's will, what he desires, what he takes pleasure in, what he loves, it's linked to his very identity. You know, John, the gospel of John, beautiful gospel. Um, If you've never looked into the backgrounds of the different gospels, you know, who's writing them, what's their target audience? Um, You know, for example, the gospel of Matthew is super Jewish. Um, Matthew's a Jew. He's writing to a Jewish audience. So he starts his gospel out with the genealogies linking Jesus to King David because that was a prophecy and that was something that the Jews would have cared deeply about. But the Gospel of John, I love the Gospel of John because John is writing to everybody, but he's also he's writing it towards the end of his life. And it's almost it almost reads as this old man with a, a loving uh, letter written to people saying, please, I want you to experience the Jesus that I got to experience in my youth. Um, so it's beautiful Gospel, but the most difficult-to-process introduction. In John one one it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it you know, John's gospel goes on to talk about how you know, the light and the creation through the word, creation through the light, the light and the darkness and the darkness is done overcoming. Very confusing introduction, but I wanna pay attention to John one one. And that word, word, <laughs> in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, you know, when you were in high school, or maybe you currently are in high school, but if you've ever taken another language, and, you know, Spanish, French, uh, German, Swahili, I don't know, uh, but if you've ever taken another language, you've studied another language, but more importantly, you've been taught another language in a school setting, usually the teacher takes the class through, like, parsing verbs, you know, in different uh, tenses, and I remember when I was in high school, and I took Spanish class, and the Spanish teacher would teach us how to parse the verbs, he would always use the exact same word, he always used hablar to, to speak, and I'm my Spanish is, you know, unpracticed, and I probably butchered even how you say hablar, because um, I have no accent. In any way, shape, or form, and and I don't even want to get myself in trouble by attempting one. Um, but that root word was always used, and and even when I was in college and studying Greek, the root word in Greek was the word "word" that's used here in John one one, and it's logos or lagos depending on how you pronounce it. But the the English language is the dumbest language in the world. It's so limited, so finite um, compared to so many other languages, especially Greek and Hebrew. And that Greek word logos or lagas, it literally means will, but it also means mind, reason, plan, word, thought. So the Greek word for um, the word word, logos or or lagas, means will, but it's so much more than that. It's so... Much more expansive than that, and encompasses the the very essence of who God is, and it brings a much deeper, more beautiful meaning to Jesus being the physical manifestation of God, God in the flesh, the 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 physical manifestation of God's thoughts and reason and mind and word and plan and will, just harmony between the Son and the Father, uh, but yet diversity and unity and and just. Yeah, just such a beautiful picture um, in John one one. So confusing on the surface, but when you dig into it, such beauty it adds to the gospel. But with all that being said, so we've kind of, we've looked at a foundation of the concept of will. You know, what is it to, to love, to delight in, to take pleasure in, your intention, so many layers to that concept of will. But then you hit verses in the Bible like Hebrews 10.36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God... You may receive what is promised. And you hear verses like that. Now, granted, it's out of context. We're going to put it into context a little bit. But you hear that verse out of context, and you think, oh, gosh, if I miss the will of God, I'm not going to receive what is promised. So I need to know what God's will is, what God's plan is. And if I make the wrong choice and I'm outside of God's will, then I'm going to miss out on the promises of God. And you become crippled with this fear. And what I wanna to suggest to you, and you can actually you can see this theme consistent throughout throughout scripture. Um, you know, shout out to, to Joe Urcoli, a discipleship pastor that I've worked with in the past, awesome man of God, love him to death. Um, he's the one who first introduced me to this concept and this idea. And I can't remember if he was quoting somebody else, but he said this phrase and it really stuck with me. So I really dug into it and, and just went down the rabbit trail with this, um, went down the rabbit hole with this, is the concept of patches and pastures. Is that the will of God can come in the form of patches at times and in certain seasons, but his, primary, but his will primarily functions as a pasture. In reference to the fact that God is our good shepherd, that the will of God functions as a pasture that He leads us to primarily. At times, it functions in the form of a specific patch of grass. But I want you to track with me here. You know, Psalm 23, um, you know, a psalm that if you were raised in a Christian home, you probably have this framed somewhere in your house, or you had a parent or a Sunday school teacher that had this on a mug. Um, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And you hear that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And, you know, kind of side note here, the the tricky part about understanding God's word is that we are 21st century Americans, most of us. Um, Shout out to listeners in Belgium which is awesome. I'm glad that you have been able to tune in. is that we're 21st century Americans most of us trying to understand a first century middle eastern book. So I can't stress enough the importance of historical context, cultural context. So we read passages like he likes he makes me lie down in green pastures and we jump to this kind of cartoonist cartoon version of 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 waist-high, you know, alfalfa. This, You know, just he plops us down in this luscious, luscious green pasture, and we just get to graze in one spot and get fat. But the cultural historical context of this is that shepherds would lead their sheep along these hillsides, and the wind coming off the sea would catch the moisture along the rocks in these deserts and patches of grass would little tufts of grass would pop up along the rocks within these desert hills. The first century Middle East did not have luscious green fields everywhere. So when it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He brings me to a pasture where my needs are provided for Where my needs are provided for. Not in abundance. But he gives me exactly what I need for the day. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Why does he restore my soul? Because I get tired. I get overworked. Um, I get weighed down. Um, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. So at the core of all this, it's for the purpose of his glory. You know, important to remember. But... Track with me here, is that the language of Scripture brings us to a place where God's will is focused on our character and our identity first and our decisions second. Does that mean that God doesn't prioritize your decisions? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying his his, His primary focus of His will is on who He has called us to be. And when that is taken care of, our decisions follow. Uh, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Not the renewal of your decisions, the renewal of your mind. That by testing, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So once God prioritizes your character, your identity, he transforms you and your decisions follow. So instead of waking up and going, God, what do you want me to do? What school do you want me to do? What do you, He looks at us and says, hey, I want you to learn how to be a man, a woman of peace, a man, a woman of boldness, of love, of grace, of mercy, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, fruits of the spirit. I want to transform your character, your heart, your identity, and guess what? Your actions, your thought processes, your your thinking, your um, your speech, all those things are going to follow in after the fact. Now, let me clarify something. There are 100%, there are seasons in which there are very clear patches, specific moments where God says, hey, come over here to this patch of grass. This is sweeter. First Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. First Peter two fifteen, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people first thessalonians four three for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, so specific elements to the will of God, but if you notice all of those have to deal with our character and identity at their core, and they rear their head in the form of our decision making but uh let's backtrack here, you know we looked at Hebrews ten um 36 that uh, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised out of context let's look at 10:32 through 38 but recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison My soul has no pleasure in him. So when you look at this verse in context, you see the circumstances surrounding that verse. The the author of Hebrews, um, which there's still kind of a lot of debate over, but the author of Hebrews is acknowledging character traits. He's acknowledging who these people are as individuals, not necessarily their specific decisions. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, um, that you endured the struggle, like these are all elements of your character and your identity. So when we say God's will is is a is a pasture first, and then in seasons can appear in the form of patches, is that maybe God is will is not something to seek after, like God, what school, you know, what career, what profession? But if God is truly sovereign and truly all-knowing, Then he looks at us and says, hey, are you going to love me? Are you going to love people? Are you going to walk in a manner worthy of the invitation I've given you to bear my name? Are you going to do that whether you go to um, a Christian school or a community college? Are you going to love me and love people at at a Christian school? Yeah. Are you going to love me and love people at a community college? Yeah. Are you going to love me and love people at a secular four-year university? Yeah. Okay. Then you're not outside of my will. You are only outside of my will when you stop representing me in the day-to-day of your life. So when you say, oh ah, man, I'm, I'm not happy in my job, um, I must be outside of God's will. Well, wait a second. Are you loving him, loving people? Are you representing the name of Jesus as a garbage man or as a teacher or as a worship leader, regardless of your profession? Are you loving God, loving people, showing people how amazing Jesus is, being a light in the darkness? Then you're inside his will. Because if God is truly sovereign and all-knowing, and you say, God, I love you, I want to serve you, but I don't know what job to have. I would argue then God doesn't care if you work drive through at McDonald's or not. If you are loving him, loving people, making disciples, see the boundaries of God's pasture, they show up in his commands. Love me, love people, great commission, go make disciples. You know, great commandment, great commission. They they become our initial benchmarks, our initial boundary lines of saying, well, if God's will is a pasture, then what are the boundaries of that pasture? Well, keep his commands. Love Him. Love people. Be an ambassador for Christ. Like You you start to see this repetition. The language of Scripture points us to the fact that God's will for us is focused on our character and identity. He does care about our decision-making, but He doesn't have to prioritize our day-to-day decision-making because if we're walking with Him, then He knows that our decision-making is going to reflect that. You see, when you approach Scripture... Logically, the reason the word is truth. So when you approach scripture logically, it starts to make sense. Now, let's be honest. There's some stuff in there that just, holy smokes, what does that mean? And, and we might never know the meaning of it. But some of these concepts we make way too complicated. We overthink and we, we infuse our own fear and hesitancy into, into God's design. And it, and it throws us off base here. John 17 verses 13 through 19, you know, it's labeled the high priestly prayer, Jesus praying for his followers. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world, in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He's saying, listen... I'm not asking that you pluck them out of the day-to-day tasks and nuances and decisions of life, but that you would transform them. Listen to this. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Make them holy. That is his, his heart's desire is that they be made Holy sanctify them in the truth your word is truth as you sent me into the world so i have sent them into the world so i want you to make them holy as they are sent out and for their sake i consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth john 17 13 through 19 I want to wrap things up with this story. You know, when I was wrestling with whether or not I wanted to submit to the calling to go into full-time ministry, I was sitting in my uh, youth ministry's introductory course, and there was a guest speaker there. And I was wrestling with whether or not I should go into full-time ministry um, or stick with my plan, which was being a high school math teacher. In hindsight, uh, that would have been terrible. I tried to tutor my wife, girlfriend at the time in math and I almost broke up with her by the end of the lesson. Um, just wasn't, you know, wasn't in the cards. And even the other week we were joking about how like, do we, can we, can we still do long division? And we sat down and I tried to show my wife, you know, long division because she was saying she didn't know how to do it. And I tried to show her and I got the, and I kind of made up my own problem. And I got it wrong. I messed it up. And I'm like, man, Lord, you have just completely removed like everything but basic math from my ability. So <laughs> the, the, the hindsight is just insane of, of, oh gosh, what could have been. But I went up to this guest speaker in this introductory youth course while I'm still debating and kind of have a foot in, in both boats. And I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about going into ministry, but you know, I'm thinking about being a teacher. I don't know what to do." And he kind of looks at me and says, "Well, dude, I don't don't care." And I'm thinking, "What do you mean? You you know, you're in full time ministry. I'm telling you, I'm thinking about it. Shouldn't you be selling me, like pitching me? Uh, your you know your best you know your best pitch on hey here's yeah do it go into ministry. This is what you need to do." And I'm like, "Well, wait a second. Well, Well, shouldn't?" Isn't isn't going into ministry better? Like, shouldn't you know and it kind of says, Well, God needs godly men and women in the public school system. And it was kind of the first time I was confronted with the reality of, well, yeah, God, I know you're calling me to this, but am I, you know, am I gonna mess my life up if I don't listen? So what I would encourage you with and pray that you would find freedom in is that yes there are seasons in life where god as the good shepherd calls us his sheep over and says hey this particular patch of grass is sweeter there will there may there may be moments god says this school this profession this spouse this geographical location this decision in particular there may be seasons he does that for you and he's all powerful he's all knowing Um, so he's going to get you there, but in the day to day, and is it, is it, is that the day to day function of God's will? Just us, us desperately seeking which particular patch of grass? I don't believe so. I think the language of scripture points us to this idea that as the good shepherd, he leads us to a pasture and says, graze, you stay in sight of me and I'll protect you. You stay in the boundaries of loving me, loving people, making disciples, carrying my name, being my ambassador. As long as you stay in those boundaries, then you are never outside of my will. And when we start to own that and embrace that from the day to day, there is beautiful freedom. Now... Like I said, this was a reprise, so if you haven't listened to week two and three, got to come back now, y'all, you hear, and uh, go a little deeper into this content. But I hope jumping back into this has provided some clarity for some of y'all, um, that this has been beneficial for you. Um, but, hey, let me pray for you, and that will conclude our time. Father, I praise you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how you've blessed us um, in the 21st century with the technology to be able to be encouraged in these means Um, through these um, opportunities, um, just with this podcast. Um, But Lord, I ask that you would help us to find freedom in your will, not freedom from your will, but as we live inside your will for us, as you transform our hearts, you focus on our character, our identity, that we love you, we love people, and that we pursue you and pursue to change the lives of people with the gospel message, regardless of school, regardless of profession, A geographical location, we find freedom inside your will, not from it. Um, But Lord, help us to notice those moments where you've called us to a particular patch of grass, those moments and seasons where you say, hey, this grass over here is going to be sweeter for you, and help us to respond to those. So Lord, we thank you, and we love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So guys, listen, I hope you enjoyed this time. If you uh, want more information on the Young Adult Ministry, you can follow us on Instagram or you can email youngadults at cornerstonelive.net. Have a blessed day.